Hello, and welcome back to Lost in Citations, our regular podcast where we speak to the producers of interesting content and see if we can learn a little bit more about their background. Joining us today, once again on the podcast, is Dr. Robert S. Murphy from the University of Kitakushu. And today's interview leads into Robert's first submission as a contributor, which we will be publishing next week. So this week we have Robert S. Murphy, and then next week we have Dr. Tracy Tokuhama Espinoza, who Robert will be interviewing about her recent publications. So without further ado, let's speak to Robert. I am very happy to be back. Robert was citation number 40, and the last time he was on the podcast, we talked about syllabus design. And today's paper that we're going to be speaking about is 3D CG, Constant Gradient Evaluation System, New Rubrics for Teachings Evaluation and for Professional Development Programs. Congratulations on probably the longest title, Robert. Yeah, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Um, I, I can't even remember this. So having uh, having been a previous guest and also having had really good engagement, I contacted Robert to invite him back onto the podcast. And you sent me a 72-page chapter to review, which was a delight, I have to say. So the focus of the paper is very much on the development of a new rubric and a way to apply it. Uh, but that we'll, we'll get to that. But first, I'd like to ask you a who was the target for your paper? Would you say that it's mainly for teachers or for course designers? I started off trying to um, solve a problem that I had. We use these rubrics at, at university um, and it never really quite sat well with me. And um, even when I started teaching, even like my mid twenties, when I was a total novice, I still thought something was wrong about trying to fit people into these boxes and and working things out with these predetermined guides. And it, um, it's taken me this long to actually do something about it. And, that, and that's what this paper is. And so who is it for? First, it was, you know, uh, to solve my own problem. But then I, I realized it, it seems to work well with um, teacher education, which is why I've had this pro professional development uh, at the very end of this uh, long, long article title. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, because I've, I've tried using it in professional development uh, situations before I actually published the paper. Yeah, rubrics are something that has caused a great deal of consternation, particularly in course design. They seem to be something that the people, the, the course designers seem to get caught up on. They had, they see before them a course that's going to be used by, let's say, 400, 500 students every semester. Uh, they're trying to make sure, as you say, they fit into these little boxes. And there's very little dynamism in them. One day I realized that how, how are these designers supposed to have the foresight to understand the dynamics of teachers that they don't know and students that they don't know and and more importantly how those teachers and students are going to react in the course that hasn't even begun yet mm. none of that really makes sense i mean unless you're like god and you have this this tremendous amount of foresight there's no way you can figure out those dynamics but and yet those are the ones that we have to use and so yeah there that's that's probably the biggest problem there yeah 
So that was the that was the felt need mm-hmm. um, that you had going on there. Uh, before mm-hmm. we get into the the rubrics and, and the background of it itself, how effective do you think you were in designing something that filled that need? I think I came up with something quite unique. If it's implemented in in the way I suggest, what I suggest is for the the um, the student teachers or the teachers or the designers to take a look at the concepts and arrange it to match their own context. And so I'm not being dogmatic about how it should be used. I'm saying, this is what I think is great for my situation. And I'd like you to take that and adapt it and make yours better. And so because it has this added level of dynamism there, I, I think it it probably does work well if the if the person understands what I'm asking them to do. You know, when I say to adapt it to your situation, yeah. I think mainly the the mindset of it I think is is more important because it works in three dimensions. It works uh, on an X plane, a Y plane, and over time. So you know, previously rubrics would be set on a you know, particular date before the start of the semester, and they wouldn't change during the semester, because oftentimes when people say, well, this doesn't quite fit anymore, they say, well, we'll review that before the next semester, but for now, we'll just use them as they are. So for the, the, the 3D part of it is the planes, the CG part of it, the constant gradient, is that it's actually able to adapt to the various situations that the students are in on a, on a weekly basis. That's right. I, I think this constant gradient. Well, w- when you were reading this, uh, did you immediately catch what I meant when I was talking about this constant gradient versus a regular syllabus, uh, uh, regular uh, rubric? You do a really good job of laying out the fact that students don't learn at at constant rate. So if you were to map their skill performance of their skill over time, you might see it as more like a jagged. Uh, edge like the 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 trend would be up Mm, but mm, there would mm. be days for particular reasons teacher-based reasons personal reasons emotional reasons that they would not be able to recreate the skill that they had demonstrated before Mm -hmm, but this is mm -hmm. part of what you note is a kind of drop and rebuild Uh, anyone who's been a teacher for any length of time will notice this pattern so having a rubric that only fit on one day of one day's performance wouldn't seem to be fair. And also if you were grading them on each each day and even possibly even taking away points on days that they were not able to perform up to the standard that they demonstrated before wouldn't seem to be fair. So mm-hmm. kind of it, it represented what teachers can see in their classrooms times however many students times however many semesters. Oh, I'm, I'm very happy. Yeah, you, uh, you, you were able to, to pick up on that. Yeah, what you were just describing is uh, often uh, talked about uh, in terms of um, micro development, where the students are going uh, up and down in the classroom. And if you don't know about micro development, uh, it might cause a teacher to panic Mm -hmm. because it's like, wait a second, I just taught you this. You seem to know it. Five minutes later, why can't you perform uh, the way you did five minutes ago? And then like 10 minutes later, uh, oh, okay, I must have done something right because now, now now, they got it. And then mm. another five minutes go by and they say, oh, seriously, you, <laughs> you, you just had it. What's going on here? Uh, this, obviously, this will really, really, really confuse um, teachers unless they 
uh, are told specifically that yes, the, the microdevelopment is a reality and, and uh, students have to go up and down. And that's just the way the brain works. Um, so yeah, the, the big question here, when I learned about, when I first learned about microdevelopment is in what, then how are we supposed to uh, evaluate teachers and the students both in mm-hmm. their performance when everybody's going up and down at the same time in the classroom and the teacher really has no way of knowing who's going up now and who's going down now in any given moment. It just, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it seems so chaotic, but it was also reassuring that uh, knowing that that is natural. And so the question is, Nasana, what do we do about it? Mm. Yeah. Well, it, it it fits in terms of ideas of epistemology as well, because mm-hmm. until a student kind of believes the things that they've been given and can use them independently and can use them at a time, recall them and use them at a time that is convenient for them, then we can't really say that they know them. They might actually get the concept at the time, but mm. you know that's why you do kind of like, spaced repetition to try and see if the next time they can demonstrate a performance standard that shows they got it and that they've actually used it and they've improved over time Mm, mm, mm. that's why that's why i thought that the time element the third dimension was so important in this that uh you know we I've, we've spoken recently with uh, Dr. Kevin Brown about high stakes testing. And mm-hmm. those really are like one shot, one day, high stress events, and also things like entrance exams and mm. uh, things like that for university entrance. This seemed to be a, a little bit more of uh, the ability to not only demonstrate the teacher's ability to, to teach concepts, but the student's ability to pick them up and then use them at a time that's convenient for them, because that's the whole point, especially in language teaching. Uh, You can't be there coaching them when they're trying to buy a ticket in a foreign country at some unknown time in the future or have a conversation or, you know. I I do like the suggestion throughout your chapter that the the 3D CG rubric improves both the student and the teacher's performance. Mm, mm, Um, mm. Do you think this is a future of education, it's more collaborative and integrated where the, the power distance between the teacher and the student is you know, diminished? I really think so. I really think so. This, this has to be the future of education. Um, co-creation of knowledge is, is where, you know, it's where it should be. Um, even elementary school, junior high school, there's a lot that teachers can learn as they are teaching their uh, their students and co-creating knowledge is uh, it can happen with any subject matter um, but the the thing is the teacher has to be receptive the teacher has to yeah be receptive and the teacher has to understand um, well the 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 term I use in in the article is a dynamic skill theory um, we're talking about how context totally changes uh, the outcome. Uh, even if a student is uh, should be doing well, if you put them in a context that makes them feel blue or negative, then they're obviously they're not going to do that well. We know these kind of things. We have a gut feeling about these things, perhaps. But uh, I, I dare say many teachers don't really put that in the, the forefront of their teaching. And, and they're not considering uh, the context that they're creating at the moment and how that is affecting the students at at any given time. And so it's important for the teacher to realize they are, um, if there's an X and a Y, you know, 
and you multiply X and Y, and the teacher is the X and the student is the Y, <laughs> you, you can say, well, which one is more important, the X or the Y? Mm -hmm. in the multiplication and then obviously you need both to create you know the, the answer and so the teacher has to realize that if they're the x then they're affecting the student profoundly mm. <laughs> every day um and even as i i, I preach this i i know that i i um i don't do it enough i don't have it in the forefront enough uh, even though i tell people about it all the time and so mm. um I really think this is the future, but it's very hard to get there. There's mm. something about it that's really hard for teachers to 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 put this in the forefront uh, as they teach. Now, based on our background of teaching in Japan, which mm -hmm. which is a place where the power distance between the teacher and the student is quite wide. Yeah. yeah. Uh, especially, probably, I'd say, especially at the at the lower levels i think when, once you get into graduate school you, you that power distance is reduced somewhat but there's yeah. still some distance between the teacher and the student yeah. do you yeah. think yeah. based on your experience that it would be more difficult to implement such a collaborative form of teaching in japan than it would perhaps in other places yeah that's a great question so when I do this with, uh, I did a bunch of pilot testing and then I, and then I did a, which is in the article. And then I, I've been doing this sort of a teaching. Um, the feedback from the students are saying, well, first it's, it's awkward that, you know, we, we, mm. you know, your goal is to empower us within this semester <laughs> and <laughs> expecting us to uh, co-create knowledge with you. Uh, and you know, I, I I tell them you know up front right, right about the second or third week that you know this is we're really I'm serious about this we're we're going to work on this together. They are honest and say they're not used to it, but mm. by the end of the semester, yeah, I don't recall students saying um, this didn't help me. Um, mm. The worst feedback I got was, uh, you know, I prefer memorizing things. <laughs> to this style um fair enough fair enough you know some students probably like that and and mm -hmm. and then i would have i've i realized i failed them in the sense that i didn't provide um a high support context hmm. for the student right it, it, the majority it worked not for everybody though and hmm. so yes uh, it's always a something uh to learn from well, let's talk directly about the rubric now. So you talk mm. about it working on three planes. Yes. The X plane is the teaching duration mm -hmm. um, and you know how long uh, you have with the students or how long the activity or course continues. The Y plane is the teaching engagement. So how much the students are employed in the co-creation of knowledge, as you say. Mm -hmm. And then the the Z plane, uh, it's real world applicability. Yes. Like where can you see it uh, occurring? Mm -hmm. And I thought it really important when I when I looked at it and tried to imagine it con conceptually, that it starts with a zero. Mm -hmm. All planes start from zero. Yes. So there's a possibility of each one that the course doesn't last very long, that course doesn't the course doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. um, the teacher does nothing. And uh, they're so not no, going no, toward the goal. Yeah. Nobody, nobody does anything towards the goal. Yeah. And it's really not applicable anyway. <laughs> yes. And I've seen courses like that. Well, there, there might be a yeah. one. Right? There might be a one on mm -hmm. the teaching duration plane. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it, it occurred. Yeah, it occurred. Yeah. They, they actually but, met. <laughs> yeah. But 
I've mentioned before about a teacher that I knew in the past who would take the first lesson of every semester. Remember, there's only 15 lessons in the semester. Mm-hmm. It's a 90 minute lesson. They would turn up in the class with a printout of the syllabus for the students, would read the syllabus and leave. Oh. oh. And there's no guarantee of any learning going on there. There's nothing <laughs> going on there. There's no, there's no, it was a statement of intent. So yeah. in my mind, that was like a one zero zero. Yeah, 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 yeah. What, what, what am I? Am I kind of reading the calibration of the of the rubric correctly? That's right. That's right. And and for my students, I I encourage them when they do this um, to uh, when I say students, I'm talking student teachers, uh, pe- people in the professional uh, development courses, and also my my English students at at the university because I I do this in, in in all three scenarios. I recommend to use decimal points. So it could be like a 0.2 for some reason. And then I ask for the justification. Mm-hmm. So it might not be a perfect zero, but you know, if they actually don't meet, then obviously, yeah, that is a fat zero, right? I'm glad you picked up on zero because I, that's one of the um, key elements in this. And I, mm. I think I can say I'm, I'm proud to add zero here. Mm. It's like, uh, who, who was it? Was it the Mayans or the Aztecs or somebody, that, some group didn't have zeros and the others did and and that made all the difference in their math? I can't well, remember. It was, it, it, this is something that came up in my rereading of, I don't want to get all highfalutin on this, okay. one, but uh, my rereading of Kant mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. his understanding of and his explanation of a priori concepts, okay. um, a priori knowledge, mm-hmm. but particularly a priori synthetic knowledge. And the idea that mathematics and science exists a priori of our, of our interaction with it. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not a knowledge that we construct epistemologically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's simply there mm-hmm, waiting for mm-hmm, us to find mm-hmm. it. And zero was a concept that was being used in like Chinese math. It was being used in Arabic math. It was in Middle Eastern math uh, and in uh, South American math, as you say simultaneously without any connection between the societies mm, mm, so mm. that's how we know it was it's a priori knowledge it's just mm, sitting out there mm, waiting for mm. people to know and so whenever i see systems that begin or allow for a zero i think that allows for them to be better calibrated because it allows for an absolute starting point i'm really glad you said that um how many rubrics have you seen that start with zero though that's a really good question. Um, I, <laughs> the only one that I know of, or the only ones that I know of that uh, are used regularly are ones mm-hmm. for like high stakes testing speaking, where the student attends, but doesn't speak at all, or whatever they do doesn't acknowledge any of the prompts. Okay, you can give, you can give a zero for a student on like, say the IELTS speaking test. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. If they come to the room, Mm-hmm. But you you say you ask them their name and they just nod and look at the shuffle their shoes. Then so you they can't can give get a zero. zero. Yeah, but do teacher rubrics have zeros? May and this is a philosophical question. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. maybe it it comes down to the people designing the courses not wanting to, to give an absolute failure to any student, <laughs> a student teacher or or or, or both yeah. both yeah. anyone anyone yeah. who's being evaluated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They really don't want to say you are absolutely you're you're a complete failure at this they want to at least say that it's a it's a one it's a one yeah that's a problem Uh, yeah yeah 
<laughs> and and the other thing that you 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 keep bringing up, I'm happy you keep bringing up that it's it's 3D, hmm. and the fact that it's 3D uh, is not just a you know it's not a gimmick. It's uh, because I use multiplication instead of addition. So this is the huge, uh, the other difference between having a zero uh, from other rubrics is the fact that we multiply the X, Y, and the Z instead of adding them. And, you know, that makes the huge difference because if there is no zero, and this mm -hmm. is why I asked you if you know of uh, rubrics that have zeros, if there's no zero and you're adding them, uh, the points are inflated, aren't they? Mm. I mean, if if you have an X and Y and a Z, and, and one of them is zero, the whole thing that you know deserves to be a zero, right? Mm. If you get a one and a one and a one, why should the score be a three? Mm -hmm. Right? Again, I think at the lower end it gets too inflated, and I think that's highly problematic. And uh, we're kind of like um, covering up the issues by using rubrics like this. Well, let me put some words so because mm -hmm. I'm I'm looking at the rubric while we're speaking, so it's kind mm -hmm. of easy for me to conceptualize it. But mm -hmm. if people are just listening, let me give you let me give them an example of what what does one 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 mean? Okay. So in teachings duration, one would be a singular activity. For engagement, it would be just telling, so mm -hmm. unidirectional, and for applicability, it would be possible, however unlikely. And so as you're listening to this, kind of picture the kinds of lessons you may have observed the kinds of activities so you can picture the idea of a single activity that is just the teacher telling the students something and then possible but unlikely and i look at these as possible but unlikely usage in the real world yeah in the real world and yeah. i the, the first thing that came to mind when i was kind of thinking of examples was uh, the overteaching of idioms in english idioms in japanese schools mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. a lot of them are taught as single use teacher-fronted lessons mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. students wrote learn mm -hmm. how often have you ever heard a student come up out of the blue use the word use the phrase not only but also <laughs> yeah okay and, and without any practice right it's just they right. were lectured on it yeah it, it's not like <laughs> uh, it's not like they're, they're from some improv troupe <laughs> and they they've, they've, they've just brought it out not only that but <laughs> yeah yeah that that's the, those are the kind of things that that sprang to mind. Let's let's have yeah. an example. Let's think of an example of two two two. Okay, two is a, a teaching arc. So mm -hmm. like uh, maybe a spaced repetition where the activity comes back. Is that would that be correct? Yeah. Well, the, the keyword here is strategic. There's actually mm -hmm. a plan there to connect the dots, and if it's there, then it deserves a, around it a two because the teacher's sitting there and saying, "I want this and this and this to connect." <laughs> that's completely different from one, which is just like spewing information out and it's not really connected uh, strategically. So I'm seeing here prominently on page 31 and, and it's in color. It's a very beautiful picture. The I, title... I hand drew that in Adobe Illustrator. Wow. Mm. Congratulations on your skills, sir. sir. <laughs> uh, but it, on neurons and myelination, yeah. how, how does that connect to teaching? Everybody knows neurons are these... Um, cells in the brain right but how do they communicate and how does that connect to learning a metaphor i like to use is like uh, neurons are sort of like you know those paper cup telephones that we made when we were kids you have one cup at one end and you have another cup at the other end and then uh there's a string mm. now, the string has to have tension and and if the string is limp then you can talk and you, you try to 
it just doesn't work. You have to work it out so that there's a proper amount of tension between the two cups, and then you can finally make a you know communication between you and your buddy. A, a neuron is also has a, a, a very important threshold. And so information comes in at one end of, of the neuron. And it's not about the intensity of the, um, the information. It's, it's the frequency of the information. Mm. There's a certain threshold uh, within each neuron. And the, once that threshold is met, then the neuron decides, oh, well, this is in interesting. I, I got to tell my buddy about it. And then and, and it goes on and, and tries to excite the adjacent neurons. Now, what's interesting about this is each neuron has its own threshold. So mm. one, one type of neuron might really be excited about what you're doing in biology. And then the other type of neuron really, so the threshold is low. So it gets a little bit of information about biology and whoa, and it wants to tell its buddies about it. But then it was something about music comes in or, or, or driving cars or whatever. And then it just, mm. it, it's like, it, it really needs a lot more encouragement to, to you know, to, to get on with it. Understanding that this is happening in our students uh, every day is is critical for teachers to to understand. If I understand correctly, mm, mm. because it's not about like you say, it's not about the intensity; it's about the frequency. Yeah. So by understanding that by frequent arcs of activities within classes, mm -hmm. you are actually changing the chemistry of the, the students' brains by by thickening the as it, myelination makes this coding thicker and that's travel right. faster to the right. axon terminal so that by understanding this is how the brain learns you build that into the curriculum exactly exactly so that would be that you you first of all teach uh children the teach students sorry mm -hmm. the you teach them the importance of like a follow-up question and then sure. you then get put them in a conversational situation mm -hmm. with a series of prompts for mm -hmm. follow-up questions so mm -hmm. there's a mm -hmm. there's a there's a plan and then there's something that's put into action to give them a chance to practice it that's right that's right logical connections between the dots yes yes okay and number two on engagement would be motivational teachings could you give yeah. us an, exam an example of that well see uh to differentiate with one one is just like you said you called it one way it's just lectured at the, th the teacher is talking at the students and it's totally passive on the other end. Two, motivational. I feel good teaching begins uh, around here um, because there's, um, again, the, the key word is there's a strategy behind it. And then the, the teacher has a repertoire of uh, these, uh, like a bag of tricks that uh, they go through to keep the students motivated on their feet, um, knowing when to tell a joke, when mm -hmm. to um, uh, ask appropriate questions. This is where, like I said, good teaching starts. And, and so if you notice this is happening, then yeah, that is a score of a two. That's a solid two. Uh, totally different from the boring lecture, just sitting at the podium, just talking for the 90 minutes. Well, at least you're, yeah. you're acknowledging the students are, are human beings and they have a form of engagement. <laughs> I, That's I, right. when, when students come back to courses, we have a... Uh, we have the Kyoso Gakubu, the, the School of Interdisciplinary Studies here mm -hmm, at Kyushu mm -hmm, University. Mm -hmm. And in their first year, they, the Japanese students learn global issues in the yeah. first semester. And then in the second semester, they're joined by international students and they study Japanese issues together, like contemporary Japanese issues. Mm -hmm. And I always tell the students who, so the international students are new and the students from 
the spring and summer quarters might be the same. And that's what I always say in my first lesson in the, in the Japanese issues. Uh, the issues are different, the jokes are the same. <laughs> so, okay. so that, that, those are part of my bag of tricks. <laughs> I agree with that. Uh, and then on the real world applicability, uh, two, we go from possible to probable. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's a very simple distinction. But uh, I think that's very important. I, I, level one is like, I don't know if you're going to need this or not, but it's in the book. So yeah, let's do this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the teacher's not even sure. Uh, but level two, the teacher's pretty confident. Yeah, it'll probably come up someday. And yeah, it's probably worth your time. So by the time we've reached the level two, mm -hmm. uh, now, now we're talking about decent, real, real teaching. So yeah, there's, there's, there's yeah. a plan, there's a strategy, mm -hmm. uh, the teacher is engaging with the students and the things that they are doing in the classroom, they can be fairly confident that at some point it's going to come up outside the classroom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so to, to circle back when I said, you know, uh, we're using multiplication instead of addition. Right. Now, if we're using these rubrics and then say so it was a one, 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 it would have been a three, uh, you know, but then if it's like a, a two, 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 there's a interesting definition now uh there's an interesting difference between what happens with the two two and a two if you add them it's a six mm. if you multiply them what is it it's an eight right yes it is. so <laughs> yeah and so you see whoa it's it the, having the twos working together there's this kind of synergy that mm. comes out in the numbers because mm. we're using multiplication and uh it, it's it's fun to see how much better it works when you're multiplying these numbers it just it just makes much more sense in in the in the scope of the rubric now just to pause at this moment to pick mm -hmm. up on that point mm -hmm. um did the students as they use the scales during the mm -hmm. during the lesson and during the course did they pick up on that that the multiplication was had a different effect on oh, i, I often asked mm. i asked them it's like so what if we had added instead of multiplied and then it came out a lot and so when i what i did was i asked them to reassess so okay go back and look at your decimal so you gave a 2.7 for this duration and then you gave a 1.3 for applicability um now look at how it turns out in addition and look at how it turns out in multiplication are you sure this was correct and mm. they go back sometimes they fix the numbers sometimes they don't but this added um, metacognitive process here was something that was a, as a substantial learning point for them. It, it, yeah, they really liked it when when they realized what was going on. Well, let's let's uh, pause and, and just have a talk about metacognition at this point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The were the directions given in Japanese or English or some combination? <laughs> My highest level classes, uh, I, I I attempted to do all of this in English, and I think. I probably didn't use any Japanese, yeah, come, come to think of it. The lower I go, the more Japanese I use, because it's much more important to understand what this is about than waste weeks on it. And then it's like, I get such a rudimentary question, what, you're asking me this now? Right. You know, the kind of thing. I, I, I don't want that to happen. It's, it's just wasting time for, it not, it's not so much a problem with me, but uh, for me, but it's like, I really feel sorry for the students if they're lost that long. It's like, I, I really wrong them. So yeah. in that case, I use Japanese. Yeah. Well, I, I, I always give that same advice to new teachers mm. um, at school when they, when they ask about 
the language policy in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, it, it says here in the syllabus that it's all going to be English taught. Mm. I said, well, if, if it's going to take more time to explain in English than the benefit that mm. they get from mm. that English mm. interaction, use Japanese. Yeah. Yeah, put, yeah. put a bit of translanguage in, in there, do what you can and move on because it's more important to get to the activity than it is to get to that point. We are totally on the same page with that. Yeah, happy to hear that. Let's let's talk about threes then. Yeah. Uh, this is where we start getting into, on the duration, we get sets of arcs, deep and cyclical. Mm. Kind of a, a strategic plan that keeps coming back throughout the duration of the course yeah now here's the thing once we get into levels three and then later four it's it's longer than one semester and even if you're only teaching the kids for or the students for one semester you have to have it planned out so that it will go on within them with some other teacher at some other point and if you so you can give uh a three or close to a three to a context that is only one semester, only if that is it's designed to go into the future with the right. student. Yeah. Um, so that's what I mean about um, being kind of cyclical, but also being in, in like in a series mm. and it's deep and it, it's much deeper than you could get into with one semester. Mm. So uh Maybe you can give a 2.2 or 2.3 or something like that, where, wow, you're really doing a lot within this semester and it's surely going to connect into the future. Then, yeah, you, you can give, you can start making decimal points moving closer to a, a solid three. But it, it, it probably, no, I, I don't think uh, one semester could ever reach uh, an actual three. Yeah, it has to be longer. Could it, could it reach, could a single semester reach an actual three if a student recognized that they were reusing? patterns and structures and points that they were that were instilled in the course that they had in a previous semester that they recognized that there was this deep plan that's a very good question now if we're assessing uh the students learning or we're assessing the teaching that's going on mm. then my answers would be different so uh to what you just uh, pointed out would be uh, how we assess the the metacognition and how the uh, the student is learning and they're pulling in knowledge, prior knowledge and, and making sense of it. And so, yeah, we could probably give them a, a three, depending on how much they have brought in and how metacognitive they are with the content. But um, a teacher could attempt to then, being on the other side, to uh, attempt to bring in older information. But again, not at random. It would have to be properly planned out strategically, looking at last year's work and looking at years two, uh, a few years ago, and actually looking at how the students did at that time. And, 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 and not making it random, making proper logical connections. And that, that's the only time you can give these solid threes. Well, given that we're working kind of beyond the, the level of a, of a single semester and mm -hmm. like beyond a single mm -hmm. course, mm -hmm. uh, I'll, give, I'll give the teaching duration four. Uh, at this point, before we kind of compare okay. it across, and that would be strategic life work. <laughs> it's life work, yes. So that that's beyond, you know, any any level of course. This is what the students are doing. Yeah, you know, on a lifetime basis. Totally, because now, so um, because I started with a zero. Yeah, I have to. I had to define what is maximum. Right. So zero goes nowhere. 
Yeah. Four is lifetime engagement yeah. with the content. So like you end up being a professor in this or something. Who would ever want to do that? Uh, who would ever want to be a professor? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that kind of level of engagement gets the, that gets the 4.0. That's, that's the maximum you can go. Right. Yeah. So let's take a look at uh, teaching engagement three and four together. So okay. three is empowering activities, kind of giving students the confidence to uh, work towards a more autonomous level of study. Mm -hmm. And then level four is teacher-student co-creation, where you're equal partners in, in a class. And maybe that would be looking more towards uh, graduate level study or, or exactly. PhD, PhD, where the, the person, the, the, the student, is the person who's deciding the topic, deciding the, the contents, deciding all of the methodologies and the thing, mm -hmm. and they're giving, being given guidance mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. their supervisor. Exactly, that's, that's the exact model that uh, I had envisioned. And then I realized, wait a second, but we can do this at elementary or junior high. I mean, we could take the same basic system and mm. just scale it down to simpler concepts. Right. It can still be done, yeah. Could you so give us some really example of uh, how this might look in an elementary school? Sure, sure. Like, so when I was in sixth grade, I, we had a very progressive uh, um, teacher and we had two term papers that I think we had to write 10, 15 pages each, you know, in sixth grade. Um, and then, you know, we would do, uh, I think we had to write two drafts. And then, it, you know, it sounds very much like a college mm. paper, doesn't it, right? Mm. And this is sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, thinking back with, you know, my own experience, I realized my teacher was already doing this with me. And this might have helped me, you know, come to this realization that we can do it at a much younger age. Mm -hmm. And it just, it just self-adjusts to what each student is capable of doing. So I did a paper on... Um, uh, black holes and quasars and pulsars uh and in sixth grade in sixth grade yeah yeah Good and then horrible. so my teacher came up to me and said you don't really understand this do you so what, what is a pulsar and and he just like threw it out the question at me like i thought i, I wouldn't be able to answer and and, and I, I wasn't able to answer I said well a pulsar is totally different from from a you know um uh these other type of stars because they're pulsing sounds instead and so you, you can you can listen to them but you can't actually see them and, and but uh, there are ways that you can do this and that and then turn it into the visual something or whatever and, then, and i explained this in sixth grade and like, you actually did study this didn't you you actually do understand it and I'm, I'm surprising myself that i remember what i told them at the time <laughs> anyway this is the sort of co-creation of knowledge that mm. is important and he was surprised because he didn't understand what I was saying. Right. Uh, he, I mean, he understood the words, but I mean, this wasn't knowledge that he already had. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't prepared to, to, to say, to challenge me, say, wait, you were right or wrong or whatever. But the thing is, it was really important for him to ask that question to me mm -hmm. and for me to realize that I was able to answer it to him. And so that, that, that moment, it was so important for me. Well, it's a, uh, it's a, yeah. it's, it's what you'd call in, in sales. It's, it's a buying question. It's like, uh -huh. I've, I've, I've taken in what you've given me mm -hmm. and I don't un exactly understand it, but I want to know more. And then here's my question. So you're, you're, you're buying into the concept um, that the person is putting out and that you could answer it created something between you and the teacher. Yeah. Something new. Mm. So this again, this co-creation sort of idea. Yeah. Yeah. The three, um, because we don't often get to level four again. So um, the four is always the ideal. 
mm -hmm. right? And this is where we should be going towards, but you know, we hardly ever give a score of four mm -hmm. in reality. But three we do, uh, or and decimals of three. So um, three is about empowering. Uh, and um, so much of school is about giving tests and you know, you, you get like a 73 and then you, you're, you're not happy that you got 73% correct. You're, mm -hmm. you're looking at the ones you got wrong. And there's it's, it's some, some such, um, negativity with mm -hmm. a normal kind of testing. But then we're flipping it around and, and giving the students uh, autonomy, giving students uh, and encouraging them to, to realize that they can come up with good ideas and go out in the world and... Um, make sense of the world with these things that we're studying. That's mm -hmm. the purpose of what we're studying. And so this empowerment is empowering the students' motivation and, and um, their, their, psych their psychology, you know, the makeup, the psychological makeup. But it's also kind of empowering the content because in, in a way, the, because the content comes alive and then mm. it, it, it connects to the real world within mm -hmm. the students' minds now. Um, so when a course is created in a way that empowers, that gives that much empowerment to everything that's going on, that's when it's in that, you know, the level three range. That's what I mean about level three. Uh, level two, you are really, you're getting into good teaching, but mm -hmm. level three, you're getting into the point of developing a good relationship with, with the students. So not because I think reading level two, it's rapport building, but it's not necessarily requesting anything from the students. It, you could just be That's a very right. qualified, confident mm -hmm. teacher mm -hmm. in the classroom. Mm -hmm. But by mm -hmm. the time you get to level three, you are putting, you've given some of the authority over to the student. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. On the way to level four. Okay. So let's, let's, uh, let's talk about the real world applicability levels three and four the, the really okay. the really top levels yeah so level three is full real world applicability so it seems like that should be the max right um it it, it should but wait there's more <laughs> uh so you give the examples of mathematics computer skills etiquette things like that four is significant global impact yeah and just to, just to give the note from the paper here the teaching affects the learner at a level that not only fully applies to the real world but it transforms the world in a significant way it sounds magnificent doesn't it it really uh, does could you yeah. uh, could you speak to that yeah so yeah let's let's you know go naturally from three to four again so like i said level three sounds like that should be the max because right. it's it's a full-on real world applicability i mean how much further would you want to go with this knowledge i mean it you, you learn this and it, it applies to the world and you think, yes, that's the max. That's what teaching is all about. But that is only level three in my mind. Um, level four, it's kind of like with Maslow's self-actualization mm -hmm. where the student takes this knowledge and transforms not only him or herself, but the world mm. uh, in a significant way. And it sounds so grand and magnificent, but and I, when I first came up with this, I thought, should I really put this down? But then I'm thinking, wait a second, we're talking maximums. Mm. And there are people in the world that go out and change the world. And the, where do they fit on the rubric? If, if I say, no, it stops at three. No, that, 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 so I realized it totally does not make any sense. Moreover, we should be encouraging our students to, to understand at least that there is a level four, 
Mm. And you you may not have aspirations uh, to get there, but that is a reality. And I want my students to realize that this is a possibility, a possible outcome from our classrooms. Mm. And so if level four in this case is just so important, even though it sounds so grand and magnificent. Mm. You know, it's like the Steve Jobs of the world and all these, you know, these people that, that, that do these, these things um, in, in whatever field they're in. Yeah. And so that's why the four is there. And I feel it's really important to be there. And they don't have to be at the level of Steve Jobs. This could yeah. be a local business person, a local community sure, organizer, a local politician yeah. uh, who actually does something, takes the knowledge and, and applies it in a way which affects the lives of others in a positive. It, it, it says significant here. Significant, it, we, yes. we, we are thinking positive though, right? <laughs> I never thought of that. Um, I, I always thought it was positive. Uh, but then, you know, this is getting philosophical. Who judges what's positive and negative, right? Um, so, wow, that's an interesting question. Well, uh, all I'm saying is if, if the person, you know, goes out, makes a lot of money in business, buys a volcano, hollows it out, uh, hires a bunch of people in jumpsuits, puts in a monorail, mm. um, that's a significant change if you become essentially yeah. a Bond villain. Yeah, yeah. Maybe just me. Maybe, maybe that, that's the way my mind goes sometimes. <laughs> no, that's a great philosophical question. Because, and and I, I, I don't know. People would judge it differently, right? So hmm. I, I, I'm not sure. That's probably beyond the scope of uh, our personal teaching in the classroom. Hmm. But then that's something that we can discuss with our students. So I, yeah, I'd, I'd like to add that at the end. That's an interesting discussion point to have with students. Hmm. Yeah. And moving on from okay. this and, and you've uh, you've given this to your students and they've applied it and it's it's been something that's been a, a course long um activity mm -hmm. uh when did you start using this in your classrooms and do you use it in all of your classrooms and uh, has anything about your experience changed the way that you explain it or apply it okay yeah so uh, this was paper was published in 2017. I started using it probably around 2015, prototypes of it, 2015, 2016. Um, when I have longer teacher training sessions, I always bring this around. Uh, I, I have them, uh, these graphs laminated and, and you know, I, I hand them out to the, the teachers, the student teachers and, and the, uh, professional, <laughs> the professional uh, development uh, attendees. And um, I don't think I've done one the past four or five years without this system at hand. In the university, I only do it now with my highest level classes. And I've been considering how to add this to my lower level classes now. But with COVID and all this and that, it, things have been coming so difficult that I, I've kind of Put that aside and I'll, I'll surely come back to it when we you know someday after you know when when we're back to kind of more normalized teaching with the lower level students yeah now can i talk to you about the the teacher training sessions mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um what are some common questions or do you get any pushback or thinking more positively um as you say you do how much buy-in do you get from trainee teachers 
Yeah, I mostly teach Japanese uh, teachers for the longer sessions. So sometimes I go and I, t I teach a week, you know, at, at, at some university. Uh, or, and uh, they're usually junior high school and high school English teachers mm. who come uh, for these, uh, you know, PD sessions. Um, to be honest, maybe half of them maybe don't like what they're hearing mm. uh, the first couple of days. Mm-hmm. I win them over by the end, mostly. It is so different. Mm. Uh, you know, the idea of allowing more autonomy in the classroom, just that concept is, it, it kind of like challenges everything they grew up with. Right. And I'm only with them for a few days. And I, I've, you know, I, I know this is going to happen every time I do it. So I, you know, I, I do. I tread lightly mm. with the with the content, but like I said, I, I eventually win most of them over, and at least they can explain the benefits of it. Mm. Uh, even the naysayers, even they, they can explain the benefits of it, even if they're not totally convinced yet. Mm. Um, but th th those are the negative aspects. Now the uh, the other ones really latch onto it, and then I've I'm in contact with many of those teachers still. And they, they send me reports and tell me how they've changed this and done that and, and how their teaching has changed. And so I'm really happy to hear um, the, you know, that kind of feedback. And I think it's because as I'm talking about rapport building and, and having this bag of tricks, I'm demonstrating those bag of tricks with those students. Hmm. And, and I'm creating a, 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 these, these, I call them students, but they're teachers, right? Mm -hmm. I'm creating this, this new rapport with these uh teachers that I, I didn't know until you know the day before but then that that week was so intense and and it was so engaging for all of us because again we were co-creating knowledge because i didn't know what their students were like i didn't know what their you know schools were like and i i learned with them and i mm -hmm. I, I came up with concepts with them and so there's this wonderful kind of bonding that that goes on and that's why we still we're still in contact you know some of them are mm -hmm. facebook friends sometimes they get emails yeah. And I think sometimes, uh, well, in the context that I've seen in both the UK and in Japan, mm. I think, especially with student teachers, there is a tendency to replicate what you saw when you were a student observing your teacher, whether yeah. it's behaviors yeah. or teaching methodologies or things like that. So if the teachers kind of apply this mindset, even if they don't apply the rubric, they apply the mindset that mm -hmm, the rubric mm -hmm recommends mm -hmm. uh then i think that the the future teachers next generation's teachers today's children um when they become teachers would hopefully replicate this and it becomes more towards as you say your, your end goal of making teaching more collaborative and more joint knowledge building uh, through a generational change in in what teaching is mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm glad you brought that up because you reminded me um like i said uh, much earlier on, I encourage the, the, the people that are taking my courses uh, on this to arrange the rubrics to match their own context, right? And then I think 100% of these junior high school and high school teachers that took these PD courses from me, 100% have not been able to use this uh, rubric as is. All of them had to change it in some way. And uh some of them just tossed out the rubric, but just kept, 
the uh, the ideas like like mm. you you brought in and uh and that was enough that that changed their teaching mm. and so i'm really happy about even that aspect and so mm. yeah i'm i'm glad you brought that up you reminded me that uh sometimes they they toss out the system but they keep the important points yeah and, and like i said the in reading your paper it was clear that what your in, intention was to do uh, was to try and explain something and just to go all the way back to page one okay. that I wanted to bring up and something that we actually discussed uh, in our last interview about syllabus design, mm -hmm. uh, which is that teaching your philosophy is that teaching is more of an art than a science. And it is something <laughs> that requires requires a certain mindset mm -hmm. in order to implement the methodologies or the ideas and depending on that on that philosophy will change the way that you perform in class the materials you choose the activities you design and so i, I think that even if you know the rubric is as a as a technical item not implemented mm -hmm. i think the philosophy behind the creation of it if that's taken on i, I agree i think that's uh, that's a good enough change thank you thank you uh... well i would say that uh, today's work i think has hit a four on every plane uh we have <laughs> we've spoken about strategic life work the way that teachers and other people in their professions can implement ideas and activities and uh, we've certainly created something together oh yeah Oh, yeah. we've, we've hit that and i think that it will have a significant global impact given uh, the listenership of this podcast so thank you very much for your time today robert that's very generous of you thank you very much so the paper we've been discussing today is 3d cg constant gradient evaluation system new rubrics for teachings evaluation and for professional development programs thank you very much for your time and i look forward to speaking with you again about your work in the future cool thank you very much Lost in Citations is an audio journal that invites you to contribute your own interviews. If there's someone whose work you cite regularly and you'd like to hear more from them, then please feel free to arrange your own interview and submit it for consideration. For more information, go to lostincitations.com, where you'll find our guide for contributors. What we ask is you submit a five-minute audio sample before the interview so that we can help you with any audio quality issues. Then you can go ahead and record 45 minutes to an hour and submit it at lostincitations at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, we have Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter pages. Finally, a very helpful thing you can do is, if you like the work we're doing, recommend it to a friend. Thank you very much.